guys, welcome to the Paddler's Playbook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Podcast Land. Thermal convection, man. These dudes almost killed me. You know, redfish are really dumb. How do you take your marsh dump? This fool used all my toilet paper. Bro, bye. Well, now that Drew's done dragging this on. TPP 15. You gonna get a dozen shrimp? Hey, you throwing that cast net again this weekend? Oh, good lord. I almost died. I do not want to paddle that far. Once again, he almost died. <laughs> I'm not waking up at the butt crack of dawn. I'll see you at the launch around noon. I love wake baits. Haven't you ever heard them chatter? Let me double back here for a second. And now, a word from Saltside Jess. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the paddle. Check out our sponsors. No, like, check out our sponsors. Check out our sponsors. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Podcast Land. I'm your host, Drew Turner. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Lewis, and this is another edition of the Paddler's Playbook coming to you pre-recorded from the Paddler's Studio. Chris, how are you doing today? You doing all right, man? You get that boat fixed? You ready for this tournament and these kayaks? Hey, I, you ready to go or what? I don't need the boat for the kayak. Tournament, that's for sure. Um, no, the boat's not finished. I haven't had time to work on it. For those of you that don't know, uh, for the past like 10 weeks, I've been trying to sell my house. Um, honestly, it's not that hard to sell it, but what was a pain in the ass was getting it ready to sell. Um, and then finding another place to live. We're We're dealing with that right now. We're coming close to an end. We're just, we see it. We're just not there yet. Um, as far as this weekend... Um, you guys are going to put me through hell. You guys are going to be through literal hell this weekend. I prefer to fish in fair weather. And what am I going to have to do this weekend? Well, I'm going to have to fish in nasty, nasty rain. And uh, the wind doesn't look to be too bad, but man, is it going to be raining on my head? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be pretty bad. You know what wasn't bad though? I know you saw the pictures. I recently went to Maine and did some fishing in Maine. That was Boy, that was a you different guys, type of experience. You guys blessed with some awesome weather, man. It looked amazing. That was the only day that the weather was nice. It oh, was the, okay. the one is, day that Drew took all the pictures was just yes, that day. <laughs> it was just that day. So when we got there, and this is I mean, this is this past week. Whenever this episode drops, it'll be the week before. When we got there, it was snowing like it's no in shit. april end in of april. april it was snowing well, i saw it was snowing in arkansas the other day yeah so it was snowing but i looked at and this was the fishing gods looking global warming baby me. i looked at the <laughs> my app and the weather app and it said high of 60 low of 49 and i said you know what i can do that like that's that's cool i could do that it's not going to be snowing but we went out with the oh we went out with Maine Wilderness Tours. That was an awesome guide, guys. Mike was great. We went after pike. I wanted to catch some pike. We were able to get pike. I got four species while I was there. I got pike, I got crappie, I got pickerel, and I got a smallmouth bass. So Yeah, you was, got some big really smallmouth bass, man. Those are it some was, big smallies. The the smaller one was five pounds and the bigger one was a little over six they were some big football um smallmouth and i'm just gonna throw this out there i know berkeley's a sponsor but on the last episode 
where we had Chris on there. Chris is also involved in the baits. So I told Chris, I'm like, hey, Chris, I'm headed up. I'm going to be chasing pike and smallmouth. He said, I got you. So he he sends you some power bait. He sent me some power baits. And I'll tell you, the guy didn't have power baits on the boat. But about halfway through the day, everybody were using, everybody was using the power baits because they were out fishing the other baits on the boat. You know why, baby? Because Berkeley, you can catch more fish. You can catch more fish. Now, that was for the small mouse. The, the, the power baits were, were, were killing the small mouse. But ask me what we caught all the pike on in Maine I catching would, pike. I would think that you were catching pike on um, crankbaits. Crankbaits, maybe some spinner baits. Yeah. Y- you would think that that was what we would be catching pike on. You would be completely wrong. Y'all catching on bread balls? We were catching a majority of our fish on Ned Rigs. Oh, really? Yes, on Ned Rigs. Every pike, because we kept two of them to eat because we wanted to try it. Both of the bellies were full of, well, they don't call them crawfish there. Crayfish. 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 They were full. Full of like four inch crayfish, which look exactly like the Ned Rig. Yeah, I was about to say they're probably just feeding off the bottom. It's probably that like time of the year that they feed off of the bottom, because um, this was not their season. It's just at the very beginning of their season. Yeah, he said something completely foreign to me um, when I called him and, and wanted to set up the trip about a month and a half ago. He said, "Well, we're gonna have to see when the ice goes away." And I was like, huh? What, what do you mean? This is four to me. So luckily, the ice went away a week and a half before we got there. So we were we were early for the season, he said. You know, probably the following weekend and the weekend after that, it would, the fishing would start to get better and better. But, man, the fishing was great. And I didn't know this, but did you know that the ice doesn't all melt? It sinks. So some of the surface melts away, and then it'll sink down to the bottom and melt. I would not have ever thought that ice sinks. Yes, so you have to give you have to give the lake a little bit of time to readjust because all that water sinks down to the bottom, and then it melts, and then you have a different levels of oxygen and stuff in that water because that surface ice has more oxygen whenever it goes down and it releases more oxygen. Very I'm scientific a, shit, I'm man. Going to stick to my thermal convection. <laughs> thermal convection, man. But that was that was fun. I had an awesome time in Maine. Again, Mike um, with Maine Wilderness Tours. He was he was awesome. It was it was a great trip. We went out on Lake Mesolonsky. I think I said that right. Uh, we went out there and and we had a good time. So that's what's been going on with me. I haven't been trying to sell a house or anything. I've been fishing. In well, Maine. Bro, talk about fishing, man. Um, how about this conversation that we had with one of the, the kayak fishing greats of this world? It and and we're not joking when we say greats. Like he's got a show on Fox Sports. He's had shows on the World Fishing Channel. I mean, he he's a big time player in the industry and has been for a long time. Um, Jim Sammons came on the show, guys. He he talked about a lot. We got to talk about some of the roots 
of kayak fishing, we got into a little pedal, paddle, motor, not really a debate, but just, you know, giving our thoughts about just a that. discussion, yeah. Yeah, a discussion and about... It, it, the, it did not get heated at all. Nobody got upset about anything. Um, I think we can see where some of our, our um, alliances stand as far as where we lean um, primarily. So uh, I like to see that. And we were all very like-minded in the discussion. I think so, because... Well, I don't want to give it away, but everybody kind of knows that listens to this show what our thoughts are on pedal, paddle, and motor. But I don't think we've talked about motor that much. So some of you may be surprised on on what we get into there. We got to talk a little bit about how his show came about, what it takes to film the show, um, different logistics that go into traveling across probably, the world the show could have probably been three hours long if we would have really dove into what it takes for him to produce that show i mean yeah. there's a lot that's involved there from the traveling and and you know what that's what shut him down this whole you know last year is because of covid there was no traveling and that's like 90 percent of what the show's about is hitting these new destinations yeah, and getting getting across the country. And I actually got to meet him in Louisiana. It was not a, a planned thing. He just happened to be at PAC whenever I was there at PAC, whenever he, he filmed his last show. So we got to talk about a little a little bit about it there at the boat dock. But we, we also covered it in this episode. But I, th- I think one of my biggest takeaways from this episode, though, is Jim really embraces what kayak fishing started as and he's trying to continue to convey what what kayak fishing started as um going forward but he's also conveying you should be happy with what you're doing sure just be happy being on the water Mm -hmm. yeah um you know it's it's a state of mind uh water sports is um just like um, you know, surfing or, or water skiing or slalom or even snow skiing, you know, any type of outdoor sports is more of a life and, you know, a competition of who's got the better plastic. Um, so, and Jim, Jim embodies that. Um, and, and he's, he's trying to get that message out there wholeheartedly as it's, it's more about you just getting your ass out there and enjoying the hell out of what we've got in front of us right now. Absolutely, man. That that that's that's the full sentiment of of almost this whole conversation <laughs> that 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 we had. But there was there was a lot of interesting things in there. I think I don't want to give it away, but I think one of the most interesting things that he said is he told us about his first quote unquote kayak, and I thought that was pretty cool. So, guys, listen to this episode. Find out what Jim Salmon's first quote-unquote kayak was. But right now, we're going to send it over to Jessica. She's going to tell us about real sportswear. She's going to tell us about what's going on with ACK. She's going to tell us about what's going on with Bait Butler. And we're going to hear a little bit about Berkeley Baits. Hey, bro staff. Fishing season is upon us, and anglers from all over are getting out and getting on the water. Whether that means your old familiar stomping grounds or new waters, Berkeley has a power bait for you. 
Berkeley scientists have dedicated decades of research to learning how fish use scent and taste to influence their decision on which bait to bite and when to let go. When it comes to getting more fish to hold on longer, I can tell you from a recent fishing trip far from familiar waters, the Berkeley Power Bait outperforms every time. So go to purefishing.com and click on that Berkeley link and grab yours today. And while you're out there on the water, either fishing with your buddies or trying to bring that big check home, at least look like you know what you're doing by showing up dressed in what the guides wear. That's right, Real Sportswear has their new summer releases and you're going to love the way your clothes look, feel, and perform. Like the new Upriver Fishing Shirt with versatile everyday lifestyle performance fabrication to keep you comfortable and reeling in the next catch. Head over to realsportswear.com and check out the style that suits you on the water. What if you're all ready to go only to realize, wait, I don't have anything to get on said water with? No worries, bro staff. I've got you covered. Type in austinkayak.com and enter to win an 11-foot aero inflatable kayak from Boat and ACK. Worth over $1,100, the full prize pack includes kayak, centerfin, foot bar, repair kit, hand pump, and travel bag. This versatile recreational kayak is constructed with Boat's inflatable aero boat technology and goes from travel bag to an 11 foot sit on top kayak in a matter of minutes. So head to austinkayak.com and register today. Now that I have literally solved all of your fishing woes in one convenient commercial break, let's head back to the boys in the Bait Butler studio. This is Salt Side Jess saying, I'll see you on the salt side. Hey Jessica, Thanks a lot for telling us all about what's going on with Berkeley. You know, guys, it is the truth. It's factual, okay? Berkeley, you catch more fish. It's undeniable, all right? Ladies and gentlemen, today, to bring you something absolutely amazing, something special, it's a legend in the kayaking world, okay? He's a OG, legend. OG, See? triple okay. OG. So before I even let, let out any names here, I'm going to go back to that OG thing right quick, okay? OG. I once saw his name pop up on a list of kayak anglers, and they called them OGs. It was Corey Ruth, and Corey said, these are our OGs. And, you know, there was a lot of Texas guys on there. I think Scott Knoll was on there, and um, Slow Ride, old Deed Thomas was on there. Um, and I said, dude, are these like the original gangsters of kayaking? He said, no, these are the old guys. I was like, shit, dude, I'm the same age as you, man. The old guys. But whenever I told that story to Jim, our guest today, he said, you know what? I am the old guy of kayak fishing. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest today, Jim Sammons. Hey, you guys. How's it going, man? Yes, I'm old. (laughs) Now that Drew's finally here, it's fantastic. But Why you got to throw me under the bus? Do you... Well, because you live there. So <laughs> uh, what, what is considered old? Well, I'm, uh, I'm 59, so I'm a little older than, than most of the guys who were, were thrown as OGs. 
I know I was kayak fishing before a lot of those guys. Um, I mean, I started kayak fishing in the late, late eighties. Uh, I was surfboard fishing before that, you know, we take our longboards out and no surf and we just break out the longboard and put a, a rod in a backpack and paddle out to the kelp beds. And, uh, and then, you know, transition to kayaks, uh, just through happenstance and um but yeah anyway it, it's been a long time so it's 80s long fun ride. 80s no. you're talking 40 40 years ago right or or like more like 40 more like 35 years ago like mid 80s or late late, 80s? late 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 okay late 80s yeah so so here's jim he's you know in his uh t- late 20s early 30s uh yeah that would have been mid mid 20s late 20s i guess yeah and i got married, and, I got married when i was 25 and that was in 87 so that's how i have to <laughs> and i'm doing some air quotes here you're kayak fishing but it's on a board a surfboard. Yeah, well, basically on a surfboard. It was the same thing yeah it was on our, our long boards on um, your I long grew board. up here in san diego surfing and I, uh, i'd always fished so run me through a setup so you, you, I mean, run me through setting yourself up to go out on this longboard because I'm guessing it was kind of like going out on a stand-up paddleboard now. But stand-up paddleboards now they have like Long rails. They, they have rails to ha- hold on to. Yeah. You know, they got places for coolers. What What is your setup going out on this longboard? Well, basically, um, I found an old classic longboard that was uh i think it was 10 feet long and but much narrower than what you would see and s- considerably less volume than what you think of for a uh, stand-up paddleboard um, a lot of guys got more hardcore into it i would just bring a backpack and throw a rod in in the backpack because you were laying down paddling and then a little tackle box and all that and you just paddle out through the surf and like say go out to the kelp beds and mainly fishing calico bass and and such it was actually quite big here um, for a while before kayaking and kayak fishing really took off. There was a, a really big, uh, the Wind and Sea uh, board fishing tournament every year. And um, it, it was a, a big event. Um, and this was, this was again, late 80s. This is, so, this is what I loved about California in the 80s. You know, this is when, when like all the songs were coming out, you know, everybody wants to be California, right? And <laughs> and the Nintendo games with, you know, uh, what was that Nintendo game? The California games, man, where you're like doing surfing and BMX biking and hacky sack and I stuff kinda, like that. I kind of remember that. Not yeah. Me. I remember that, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's that's like California in the 80s, man. That's And, and I love that that picture that you're painting for us of doing something wild and crazy out there on these, on these long boards. Um, now in true fashion, you know, true paddlers playbook fashion, I've cut drew off and drew was going to say something. <laughs> so what were you going to say, drew? You were well, going to ask the question. I was just going to let him finish with that, but I want to know after you graduated from the long board, what was your actual first, what we would consider now to be a kayak? Uh, an ocean kayak um, scupper. So the original scupper, scupper pro. Yeah. Well, it was a scupper. Just uh, the scupper, scupper pro yeah. came after that. And then the scupper pro tank. Well, I actually had one of the very first sky. I don't know how many of them they made the scupper pro tank. Well, 
because they had the two hatch and I always wanted, I'm like, man, this would be so cool if there was a tank well back there so I could put a bait tank or a ice chest or whatever back there. And they finally made one and they didn't put scuppers in it. So you would launch through the surf and you immediately had five gallons of water sitting on your ass. It was a lab well. It, except it didn't circulate. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Um, I didn't have that boat for a really, I actually have a really cute picture of um, my daughter who is now 27 when she was quite young, sitting in the back of it while I was fishing off of it. Um, but I mean, yeah, so I had that, I had one of the very first, I said, they didn't make them very long. They figured out that, Hey, and this was when the companies were small enough that they could be um, active uh, reactive. If there was an issue, they could fix it like that. So uh, it didn't take them long and they put scuppers in it. So how did you hook up with the ocean guys um, with this scupper? Did you, I mean, did you just go into a store and buy it or were you already in touch with them because of the longboard well, fishing scene well, or how did no, all that come really. about? My, my backstory as far as how I got into the kayaking end of things is my father-in-law um, was an avid paddler. He um, paddled touring kayaks, you know, and, and I still have his old boat. He since passed, uh, you know, 18 foot. I had a 21 foot touring kayak. So these things were rocket fast, yeah, um, but not great for fishing off of. But he introduced me to paddling. So I learned proper paddling technique. I learned all about paddling from him. And when the sit on tops started coming out, then I started, we'd be out paddling and I'd see a sit on top and, or, or something. And I'm like, Hey, and he worked uh, for Southwest kayaks. Um, he was actually had a high position with general dynamics, but um, because he liked paddling so much, he would go work in this shop a couple days a week, which would pay for him to go on trips with them down into Mexico. So anyway, um, he introduced me to paddling. And then because we were always going in the shop, all of a sudden they've got these ocean kayaks sit on tops. And, and I was always a fisherman. And so I'm like, that makes more sense than these touring boats and trying to fish off the touring boat. And, um, as a gift, he actually, he, my father-in-law bought my wife and I each a kayak. And uh, I became a severe addict. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't I, take I, much. I became a, and there was nobody doing it. I mean, I can't say nobody because there were guys out on old uh, necky prisms and um, necky spikes and, you know, uh, or perception. I can't remember. It's a long time ago, but the, there was the, pri the prism. Were... Yeah. Prism was a uh, perception. Yeah. Cool. So, but I mean, there was, there were some guys out, out kayak fishing, but uh, there was very, very few of us and everybody thought we were freaking crazy. Of course. <laughs> it's like, it's like was... when snowboarders became popular or when snowboarding started to become popular, all the skiers were like, get these assholes off of my slopes. They're crazy. Yep. They're fools. So when kayaks started to take over the water, everybody was probably like, get these damn kayakers off yeah. of the water. 
I'm going to run them over. I'm going to run over. It it was just like, you guys are crazy. What are you doing? And then we're coming in with, you know, big fish. um, Because, I mean, I've never dallied with the fresh water. I've got a lake a mile from my house. I've never put my kayak in it. Um, You know, I'm a saltwater guy. So, you know, we're going out there catching yellowtail, white sea bass, thresher sharks, and, and bringing them into shore. And people are like, are you freaking crazy? And <laughs> you're like, we were high-fiving. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, we we're crazy. Bit. And it was cool because you knew everybody. Everybody knew each other out on the water. You know, there was there, it became a really cool community. And as it built and built it, it still was this really pretty small community and we all would talk to each other on the vhf radios and uh it it was just a a lot of a lot of fun but nothing available you know everything was do it yourself that was going to be my next question i know there was nothing available (laughs) and like every other kayaker out there you probably had to threw some shit shit. threw some shit together in the garage to put on there what type of stuff did you put on there that you felt like you had to have back there in the really early days because now you still in milk crates well um a lot of guys were using milk crates you know i was never a milk crate guy um i found it just better to put a cooler back there and so that was actually funny. Whenever my wife and I would go shopping, it's like I was always looking around, always looking for the thing that would fit because the, the Scupper Pro had a fairly odd shaped tank well. It was pretty narrow. So mm-hmm. finding it was always my mission whenever we went anywhere was to find something that fit perfectly in the back of the Scupper Pro. And then, of course, rod holders. There was no rod holders available, so uh, we would make them. And that was one of the first things I started doing as a business uh, was making rod holders and outfitting people's boats for them. Um, <laughs> I made some of the first commercially available rod holders for kayaks. I made the first commercially available uh, live bait tank for a kayak. Uh, I mean, a full circulating live bait tank, because that was one of the big things. We paddled for, I paddled for years, dragging one of those Plano bait sleds. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> and it's like, I would rather carry five gallons of water on the back of my boat than drag one, you know? And so I, a buddy of mine and I came up with this design for a a full circulating bait tank and we were making them out of uh, Rubbermaid boxes and you had a Rubbermaid box and then you put a shoe box size Rubbermaid box on top of that, that you kept your battery in and put a switch on. And uh, you know, these were full circulating live bait tanks. So you could carry a bunch of live mackerel. And then I took that to the next step and had them uh, started making them out of fiberglass. And uh, they were really sweet. And then uh, some jackwad who worked for a roto molding company took my bait tank and completely knocked it off. And I couldn't compete with them. <laughs> hey, Drew, question for you. Yeah. Take a guess at what fits perfectly inside the tank well of a Scupper Pro. Uh, I do not know, but I can tell you what fits perfectly inside a ocean kayak scrambler. scrambler. Yes. It's, the, it's the same damn thing, actually. Same. Okay, so nobody else is ever going to be able to find this. But in a previous life, I worked for <laughs> a school district um, doing maintenance before I went back to school for therapy. We had a school that was built in the 1900s. Um, And there was a gymnasium that was built in the 1900s. And they didn't really have lockers back then. They had these long baskets. 
that slid in and then slid back out. And that long basket from the lockers, from this gym, from the early 1900s is what fit. I was thinking something commercially available like you could go down to Walmart. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I didn't have any of that. Man, I was resourceful. So there was like eight of these baskets, and they were metal, so they rusted out fairly quickly. But I went through them pretty quick before I got rid of that kayak. But that's what fits. I know that ain't what you were looking for. No. that's, That's what fit in there for me. The Igloo Playmate. Fits perfectly inside the tank well of a uh, Scupper Pro and a Scrambler. Now, I still have my Scrambler, um, and that is probably the wettest kayak I've ever owned in my life. And I've had Scupper Pros. You obviously never owned one of the original Ocean Kayak Drifters. The Drifter is almost just like the Scrambler, but no, it has really know. large. Doesn't it have really large scupper holes compared to the well, size? Well, no, of the- it wasn't that. And and the boat was very different in design. Uh, much narrower bow, uh, very, very full uh, side rails. Yeah, it's got uh, big, but yeah, but tall. the original because they they started making after the first one they started making the dry. They literally called it the dry butt Drifter. Because and it wasn't, <laughs> it was still wet. The first drifter, the dry butt drifter. That's all. The first drifter, a buddy of mine, he loved it because it, it paddled okay. And, um, but he didn't have to have a bait tank, he literally had his bait swimming around in his cockpit around his legs. Wow, <laughs> because it let the seat in it was so low. Well, a little backstory here, and anybody who's familiar with the Prowler, um, again, and I worked for Ocean Kayak for a long time. I mean, I, mean, I was sponsored by them, and I helped. I, I made the proposal for the very first fishing boat going from the Scupper Pro to the Prowler. So I, I made wrote the proposal for the Prowler, uh, helped with that design, and then I did the deck design of the Tridents. Um, so I, I worked with them for a long time, but I regress. Um, the Prowler, back when we were making the Prowler, when they made a, um, a plug, which was, um, you would make a mold out of fiberglass originally before you made them out of uh, metal, you know, so when you're just testing out boats, but they didn't, they hadn't figured out how to, with a fiberglass mold, to put scuppers in it. So you never really knew where the water line was when you're sitting in it. And that's why some of these boats ended up so wet. Um, And the Prowler was. The Prowler was one of their best surfing boats. I mean, that thing was just a blast to surf. Um, And it paddled great and all that. But again, it was a very, very wet boat. I have a good... Exactly why, because we were never able to test exactly where the water level was when you were sitting in it because you didn't have scuppers. Man, I have a good time uh, surfing my my uh, scrambler. I think scrambler is a great surfing boat too. Yeah, I, we're talking a scrambler being uh, twelve feet, if that. Twelve foot, yeah. Uh, it's like eleven the, nine. The prowler, yeah. Uh, the prowler was fifteen five. So for a fifteen foot kayak, it surfed really well, and that was the cool thing because uh, Tim Niemeyer, who was originally the original owner of Ocean Kayaker. The original designer. Um, that's what he designed the boats for. Surfing. Surfing. And yep. surf I, get to, 
I can tell you he didn't design it for crappie fishing because that's what I tried to do out of mine is crappie and bass fishing. And I got rid of that boat fairly quickly because that is not what that no. boat was intended to do right. at all for if someone want, that's 230 pounds. If yeah. you want to do some research on the <laughs> godfather of sit-on-top kayaks, Tim is the guy to research. Yeah, um, he is an interesting cat. Um, I, I've spent many a time chatting with him, and he is an interesting cat. So, have you paddled his latest invention? I, I have not. Uh, the new, the new scupper. Yeah, um, I bought one. I had it for about a year. Yeah, uh, it paddled great. It was fantastic. Tracked well. It was so fast, and the glide was just amazing. They got that part back um, as far as as the boat itself, um, but. I mean, in my opinion, and it's my opinion alone, it was uncomfortable to sit in because you were down below the water line, so the cockpit was just trapped. You trapped yourself in one specific position, in right. one position alone. Um, it was very uncomfortable to sit side saddle in. I could not sit That's side saddle That's what I was fish. wondering about. It looked like the side rails were very, very sharp angles. Yeah. So if you were if you were trying to sit side saddle in it, it looked like those would be like biting into the back of your legs. That was just an impression from looking at it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It would it would just kill the back of my legs whenever I was trying to uh I don't know what this guy drew. Drew, what are you doing, man? You coming back to us? What's going on, buddy? Well, one of the really cool boats from again, we're you know, this is all back ocean kayak, and what was kind of my driving force to for them to make the prowler. He's back. Um, was a boat called the Manta, and I, I jumped on one at our ocean kayak dealer, and it paddled so freaking well. Um, it's one of the boats that actually uh, kayak Kevin used on some of his expedition paddles back when he first started doing that. Um, it, it was weird. I mean, it, it had this flared bow, like a, a surf ski. It kind of looked like a squid. Um, the whole deck was wrong. Uh, it, it Your feet were too close together. It had this weird ridge down. That, but it paddled so well, well, and it still had a lot of volume to it. Because that was the problem I was running into with the Scupper Pro, is that you were running out of volume uh, once you start you know, carrying my big butt and a live bait tank with, you know, six gallons of water in it uh, and a game bag down inside your hull that's got a bunch of ice packs in it, your fish finder and way too much fishing gear. You know, you just, you're running out of volume in the boat. So that's what was the impotence to where we went to the Prowler and then again to the Trident and, um, you know, those changes and, um, and competition amongst other companies, other companies started making, and there's so many more now, it's not even funny, but um, it just started driving innovation, which was super cool. And it's so still cool. The Manta, you know what? The Manta, every now and then I see some popping up. Um, and it's not very often that I see this. Now, it took a little it's while. It's an you... ocean kayak Manta because there was a Manta made by somebody else. Liquid and Logic, there was a Manta Ray made by Liquid right, Logic, right, right. which then <laughs> yeah. became uh, somebody else. No, but it's it's the Native Manta. Manta Ray. And people people talk about it like whenever they find one, they're like, oh, my gosh. You know, th this is like the rare 
um, Manta, whatever. And I think they had another name for it, like the Karma or something like that. But there were like these these test molds that they made a few of, if I'm thinking of the right kayak. And, and they're not really – there's not a lot of them out there. Um, but it's really cool. These really old uh, – I found – Drew found it for me the other day. He found me an original um, Tar 160. Oh, nice! And and the guy was selling it for two hundred bucks, and I was like, I gotta have it. I gotta have it. Well, that that is a Chris Lewis kayak right there. Yeah. If it's if it's two fifty or below and has some problems, that Chris Chris Lewis wants that one. That's a, I, I wish I still had some. I, I at one point I had like twenty one kayaks. <laughs> and I just cleared them all out. <clears throat> there, are, I still yeah, wish I had like some of my old Scupper Pros, and um, they were such a joy to paddle. The Scupper Pro, I I um, think of that kayak like my Mustang. I should have never sold my Mustang. I should have never sold my Scupper Pro. Um, it, it just had no business being anywhere other than in my garage or on on the water with me inside of it. So. There, there was actually uh, one of my kayaks that went around San Diego for a while, and it would pop up for sale, and people would list it as the Jim Salmon's Marlin kayak because it was the one that I had caught my Marlin off of. Really? And, and the first time I sold it, I sold it that way. I go, hey, this is a kayak I caught my Marlin off of, blah, blah, blah. and it went around from people to people to people <laughs> being sold that way. So what? We're, I see Drew. Drew, like, ask Chris. We, Chris, I want you to ask him this question <laughs> in the same way that I usually ask it. Come on, let's see if you can do it. So we're progressing in a couple of different ways here, and this is fantastic because we're like just allowing things to flow. And yeah, check those mic settings. I sent you a message, a text message. It's a little hot, but um, so Jim, we've talked about your how you got into kayaking. Um, and it's a, it's a fantastic story. I really, really like the fact that you got into something with your father-in-law there. But what we want to know, what our listeners want to know, is what is your most memorable memory? That's fishing the memory. That, your most that, memorable fishing memory. That's how you got to say it. They're your most memorable fishing memory. Um, now, what I like is whenever guys come at me with something that's not necessarily like they're, you know, fishing with grandpa, they're the original GPS, but, you know, something that's impactful. Like, tell us about something that changed your life in fishing. Wow. Um, there would probably be a couple of things. That Marlin, my first Marlin being one of them. Um that the picture, uh, well, actually the picture of my second Marlin got, was all over the world. Um, you know, nobody had ever caught a Marlin off a kayak before. And it certainly has never been done before or since I caught my first one here and I caught it in La Jolla. Um, and I mean, this was before digital cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have VHF radios. <laughs> And uh, we were fishing for yellowtail. This was before braid. Uh, I was fishing 20-pound monofilament, no leader. Holy smoke. And um, that's, like, that's like my redfish go-to. <laughs> yeah. How far offshore were you? I hooked it about a mile offshore, straight off of Scripps Pier. 
we have some very deep canyons very close to shore uh, in La Jolla. And uh, again, we caught, we catch live bait. We always catch live mackerel. And uh, I was with a former, because I was a guide for many, many years. Um, I was with a former client uh, who became a fishing friend. And um, we, about a, about a week before that, I had seen a marlin in La Jolla, and which is just super insanely rare. Uh, you know, we have to have the right conditions, El Nino and all that. And uh, I had seen some flying fish. So on this next morning, I'm paddling with my buddy and I see some flying fish pop up and I jokingly say, hey, dude, flying fish, we're going to catch a marlin. And probably two minutes later, explosion behind my boat. I do the compass swing in my kayak, get spun around and it jumps right off my bow and marlin on. And I immediately check my watch because I go, well, this ain't going to last long. <laughs> you know, let's see how long this lasts. I'm a 20 pound mono. And two and a half hours later and eight miles out at sea, um, we have them up near the, the boat. And I had never in my life dealt with a marlin before. So we didn't know what to do, didn't know how to deal with them. And I'm like, well, he's still green as hell swimming under my boat. I go, I'm just going to pull on it as hard as I can. He's either going to roll and come up where we can grab him or I'm going to break him off. And I ended up breaking him off. But he was right there. I mean, I could touch him. <laughs> but we just didn't know what to do with him. Was it 20-pound so, uh, big game? It was 20-pound <laughs> handy. Oh, okay. All right. We Our last episode, we had the Berkeley uh, line designer on there, and we were talking about Berkeley uh, big game. That is, It was Berkeley yeah. big game. It was Berkeley big there game. You go. There you go. I like that. That's a better answer. That's well, better you know answer. what's crazy? Okay, so Andy, you know, here in Texas, man, people do fish like, uh, um, what do you call it, like near shore? So basically off the beach and stuff like that. Uh, Andy and a lot of guys that do jigging, Andy is like their preferred uh, monofilament. Now, is that a West Coast? I, I don't remember where they're out of. I know when I sent him a picture of the marlin jumping in front of my kayak and my buddy, uh, we did have a camera, waterproof camera, um, not digital, like I said, but we got some pictures of it jumping and I sent it to Andy and they sent me a t-shirt. <laughs> a t-shirt out of that. <laughs> he sent me a t-shirt. But that was, I mean, that, that first Marlin, um, because we did have photo evidence, uh, definitely got me more notoriety. Um, so for my aspirations of building my guide business at the time, it was a very good thing. Um, probably the other one, and this is not, I would say a fishing experience, but it is something that definitely influenced what, how things went. Um, I, I had, a, a client out and we were fishing calico bass. And when I'm fishing with clients and we're fishing bass, I'm usually fishing too. Uh, because it's not like you can point to a fish and it's not sight casting or anything. So you just want to make sure the fish are biting. And I caught a really nice, big quality calico bass. And this client took a picture of me with it. Well, I was friends with, uh, Ed Zeralski, who is the outdoor writer for the San Diego Union Tribune you know, went back when people actually read newspapers and Ed ran with it. He, he goes, well, let's do a whole story about what you're doing, your guide business, kayak fishing, because kayak fishing was so crazy and new. 
Um, this was this was before the Marlin, actually. And um, I open up the paper on I don't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday morning. Go to the sports page, front page of the sports page. Tiger Woods wins the Masters or something. I don't remember what it was. I don't follow golf, but it was Tiger Woods and it was a really big deal. He was young and like won the big tournament. And you open up the next full half the page is a picture of me. And everybody's reading this paper, you know, because Tiger, everybody's so excited about this Tiger Woods thing. And they open up the next page and there's half a page picture of me holding up this calico bass uh, in my kayak and a full half page article about my guide business. My phone rang nonstop for a that's, week. That's awesome. Uh, it was like I said, that was a huge turning point, uh, which, uh, you know, drove my guide business and made me start doing that, you know, more full time. How many of those calls were actual fishermen that are already kayaking compared to guys who I was going to say already kayaking compared to guys who were just like compared to guys that were just like I need to do that how do I do that my my life is boring I need excitement let me go to La Jolla and do something crazy yeah that was that was the majority of it um and that was I was stupid enough back then that I used to take all my clients to La Jolla you know and to go chasing yellowtail and white sea bass and and bigger fish um, but the problem was we were using scupper pros and they're having to launch through the surf. So they're and doing this, like <laughs> their very first experience sitting in a kayak with fishing rods is having to launch through the surf and deal with swell and all that. And how many, how many of these guys did you have to say, come on, put your big, big boy panties on. Let's go. Well, it was more a matter of having to drag these guys back into the freaking kayak. <laughs> I mean, that was the demise of the Scupper Pro is it, it wasn't exactly user friendly to people who weren't surfers or paddlers, you know, people who were used to being on that platform. It was a narrow little boat. So here's a great segue into another portion of what we were going to discuss. So we talked a lot about the different ocean kayak models that you've used. Now there was a transition in your life whenever yes. it came to the brand of kayak that you were using. Yes. At and I'll be point, honest with, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a change by choice. Um, right. As happens, you know, and I, I, back then that was, it was a kick in the gut because I had been with ocean kayak for such a long time, but it was before I really realized Business is business. Now, now before that, though, when you're saying you were with Ocean Kayak, tell the listeners, like, in what capacity you were with Ocean yeah, Kayak. Sure. Because there's a big difference between a pro staffer for a local shop saying, like, I'm with Native or I'm with Hobie or I'm with this. How are you with Ocean Kayak at this point in time? Well, the cool thing is, is back then, um, it really was a lot of personal relationships. Um, the local rep for ocean kayak in Southern California, or actually all of California back then, Mark Olson, he was Tim Niemeyer's very first rep. He lived in the same general area and he saw these things on the beach and he goes, 
and and Mark actually had a bike shop and he goes, let me sell these things in my shop. And then it, he just took it and ran with it. And he was Ocean Kayak's very first rep, was a rep for them until very, very recently. Um, and he and I became really good friends um, because I was doing stuff and then he would come down, he'd be in town and he and I would go fishing together. And um, I was Ocean Kayak's very first quote unquote pro staff. Um, and because I was doing stuff other people weren't doing and uh, promotionally, you know, I was really because again, because of this whole trying to start a guide business and promote the sport of kayak fishing, I've always been about promoting the sport of kayak fishing. Um, I was just doing a lot. So then ocean kayak then brought me in not only to help with boat design, which again was the, the prowler and then the tridents. Um, but you know, they were sending me to all the trade shows. They didn't have any other pro staff. So I was going to trade shows all over the country, you know, where now they've got pro staff everywhere. So, you know, you bring in your local pro staff, but I was, it. I was the guy. So I was just going everywhere for them. Um, I had stopped working, um, or not working as much for Pepsi Cola. I used to drive trucks for Pepsi and I just had the time I could go. So they would send me everywhere. And, um, like I said, I had, it was a personal relationship. Uh, the, the reason it stopped is basically because those personal relationships went away. Um, my contacts, the people I had worked with, the designers, Spike Goldwyn, um, no longer worked for ocean kayak. Uh, the head of marketing, and this is the big one, of course, she left and they brought in somebody new. And this is what happens with sponsorships in general. You know, it's like I said, this is where you start realizing business is business. You know, you think you have this great personal relationship and then all of a sudden it's, well, this is business. And a new marketing guy comes in and all of a sudden we are not his project. We're not his baby. And, you know, and uh, we had, I had my TV show by then. And um, he came in, he goes, I can't afford to pay for a TV show to be a sponsor of a TV show. And we're like, hey, you know what? But we provide 99% of your still photography for your catalogs, um, all your social media content, anything like that we are providing. But he didn't see it because we didn't have that personal relationship. Um, and he asked me to stay on with Ocean Kayak, but he could not sponsor my show. So it's like, I want to keep doing my show. I love doing my show. Um, I go, I can't, I, that, that, that's not going to work. And thankfully, very, very quickly, Jackson Kayak said, we're in. And now I have just awesome personal relationships. And I hope, you know, it's still the same thing. I mean, I love the people at Jackson. Uh, Jackson actually showed me respect that ocean never did. Most people have no clue that I helped design the, the, um, tridents and the prowler and wrote the first proposal for their first fishing boat. Uh, most people wouldn't have a clue. They just knew I worked with ocean kayak, but they didn't know that I was that deep into it where I joined Jackson kayak and they make a kayak with my name on it. You know, they make the Kraken. I was um, about to say, yeah, the Kraken was 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 the Jim Salmon's introduction to 
Jackson, wasn't it? Yeah, like, when I like, first started, I had to, I had to suffer. Here's Jim. He's that. here now. I had to use the CUDA for about a oh, year. Goodness, Ooh. I'm so sorry, brother. Uh, That's probably yeah. why you have shoulder problems. Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> Those boats weren't. They were good and bad. Um, my biggest issue with like the the um, the CUDAs is they were super noisy. They had huge scupper holes in them, and then you just hear this plop, 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 plop yeah. all the time, and it would drive me crazy as a as a paddler. That sound just made me cringe. What they just but Chris, that c- combination of you two, that that just ugh, yeah, that, so, that made me cringe. But you know, they they brought me in for for a reason, and that was to get them into that market. Unfortunately, you know, people don't want to paddle anymore. <laughs> Everybody expects pedals, and although they're the people in Europe are still paddling the Kraken, they love the Kraken. Um, but in the U.S., everybody thinks you need to pedal, and so unfortunately, well, not like that. But the <clears throat> and we talk about this quite a bit with a lot of our our guests because we do have a lot of guests that are pioneers in the industry, and we ask them all the time, "Do you think we'll ever go back? Do you think the industry will go back?" to some of those designs that were more sleek, more slim, less plastic, uh, more speed, more contact with the water. Um, we have like these these holes that are four foot wide and 15 foot long, and they're more like John boats, plastic John boats, than they are kayaks. Or you have two <coughs> holes. You have one on yeah. each side and a chair. Yeah, or catamarans. Well, now they have a trimaran, the blue sky... Um, Jumbo Sky. I don't know what it's called, but it's got three pontoons. Tricat. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I and I'm not going to lie. I love that blue sky. That is, but I'm never going to call it a kayak. You know, I love fishing off that thing. It is fun as heck uh, for for the job. I mean, like when we were in Louisiana and you're on those flats and you were J- Jameson standing on top of the seat. Um, there's a guy who made an actual tower for his. Oh yeah. Uh, Tom Bulger. Exactly. Um, exactly. Tombo. Tombo has it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's for it, sale it's, right now. Yeah. I saw that. <laughs> but I mean, a super cool boat, not a kayak. Um, and like you said that, you know, there is that whole, well, let's face it look at the general populace of American male, you know, fishermen. They're not small dudes. Big fellas. A lot. I mean, I'm not small and I get around a a lot of the fishing community and and I sometimes feel small, you know, Um, there's a lot of big dudes. And so it was cool that these big boats came into play because now there's a boat for everybody. They're really, you can't find somebody, you can't put a boat on. Uh, But it is disappointing to see. What I always say is, is one thing a peddler will never experience that a paddler does. And that's glide. Absolutely. You don't glide in a pedal boat. It's just, they stop, you know, and to have that beautiful of a nice fast boat. Well, as I said, I was in touring boats before. Every once in a while, I still get in one. And they're so fast. I mean, it does what a boat's supposed to do. It actually, you put your paddle in the water and you drive forward and the boat goes past your paddle. It's not, you're not dragging the paddle through the water. 
and I'm doing hand motions here, but um, you know what I mean? The boat jumps past the paddle versus dragging the paddle past you. And, and to experience that, you know, you don't get it even, with any of the plastic boats, uh, even the long, fast ones, you don't really get that as much, but it's still, you still have glide. You glide down a wave, you get a swell behind you and you just cruise and you don't get that with a, with a pedal boat. So Chris and Jim, I'm going to ask you this because we want to talk a little bit about paddling, pedaling, motors, different kind of kayaks and things like that. What other advantages other than glide do these paddle kayaks offer that a pedal kayak won't and a motor won't? What are well, what are and, some of the advantages of and, and just I will tell being you a paddler? I will tell you each one of every one of these boats that you're talking about pedal, motor, paddle. They all have an advantage at different times, uh, and there's there's as long as you're getting. I always say as long as you're getting out on the water, it doesn't matter what's what you're using. Um, but the stealthiness of a paddle kayak. I mean, you see here a Hobie guy go by, and it's like clunk, 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 clunk of that flipper hitting the bottom of their boat or just the whole mechanism is loud. Um, the simplicity. I mean, you have nothing that breaks. I, I broke a paddle once, you know, once in, in all my years, I broke a paddle while, while I was launching through the surf and just the leverage it snapped in the into. Um, and it wasn't a good paddle. So it wasn't a Werner paddle. Um, <laughs> Sponsor, shout out to Warner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just that whole simplicity of it. Those damn um, Carlisle paddles. The you know the the boats themselves are lighter. It's it's easier on you. Although you know again most of these paddle boats, even the Kraken, it was a heavy boat. It, I keep jumping around so much, but it's just fun. Um, the Scupper Pro. What did it weigh? Like forty nine pounds. Oh oh my gosh. It, it was, it was 14 <laughs> feet, nine inches long. I don't remember the width, but it was narrow. 28 inches. And it weighed about 49 pounds. And back in the day, people would say, I love this thing. If only they could make it lighter. And now the boats <laughs> have done nothing but get heavier. <laughs> this is like, God. If you want it, if you want it lighter, it's got to be made out of fiberglass or carbon fiber. Um, which is what Tim's doing. His his uh, his creation is fiberglass. Um, yeah. To answer your question from my point of view, Drew, um, it's got to be a boat that's made to be paddled, okay? Because we have boats out there that come with paddles that aren't made to be paddled. Um, they're just too damn big and too too much drag. Um, now, if you look at a big kayak that actually is made to be paddled, probably the Bonafide, okay? He did a really good job of designing that thing to be able to be paddled and still be large. But when I'm in a kayak that I want to paddle, man, it's got to have, it's got to have a great bow. Um, it's got to have a really great rocker. Um, it's got to, it's got to, it, I don't care about balance, stability. As long as the secondary is good, I don't care about the primary so much. Because uh, I'll lean, I'll lean a lot whenever I'm turning in a kayak, um, but it's it depends, man. The kayak. It's so funny made. to hear somebody talk about primary and secondary, and most people don't. They, they don't even think they about it anymore because the yeah, boats yeah. are so big and wide and flat bottomed, and 
and so much initial stability that they don't even think about secondary because you, you never hit it where for us being again, you know, a paddler, you're lean turning and, you know, you're side surfing a boat in, um, you know, you we were talking about the Wildy, the Tarpon uh, 160. Um, I always said if I wasn't in an ocean kayak, I probably would have been in that boat because it was such a good paddling boat. The reason it didn't do well here on the West Coast didn't handle the surf well. Uh, didn't have very much, uh, didn't have enough, it was fairly flat, didn't have enough rocker in the bow where the the ocean kayaks had more rocker, particularly as you got into the uh, the prowler and the trident had more flare up in the bow, so they had more lift going over surf. So, uh, but the Wildy was, the, the Tarpon 160 was a great paddler. I, I, I truly enjoyed paddling that So, boat. you know what I tried to surf once? I've got a great video of it. Actually, I've got some really good pictures. Drew was there, was there. when it happened. This was like nine, ten years ago. That didn't ago. work out too well yeah. for you. I tried to surf a CUDA. <laughs> it, was, it was tragic. <laughs> uh, it depends. On, like I said, the 14 did okay. The 12 was very weird. Um, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't wasn't made for that it didn't uh, help that i had a case of beer inside the uh belly the hole yeah i had one of those <laughs> jackson belly, coolers i had one of those jackson coolers cooler bags that fit inside oh right there. right yeah. and i, I had have a, one of those i had a case of beer sitting in there <laughs> coming in from the hatches in the front the, the water oh, and everything man. now chris but what situations would you rather take a paddle kayak on the Gulf Coast where, where we fish compared to taking out the Outback or something like that with pedals? Um, so, so when I fish, like let's say Louisiana, for instance, um, once I get to where I'm going, the drive comes out if I'm in a Hobie and the drive goes into the tank well and then I'm paddling the rest of the way. And that thing's kind of a pig to paddle. Um, being that it's a newer Outback, it's still you know, 80 something pounds. Um, and, and I'm trying to be as stealthy as possible. And that's when a good paddle craft comes into hand whenever you really want to be stealthy. Okay. I know a lot of guys that are like, Oh, I can be more stealthy than you. If I'm wade fishing, that's the only thing stealthier than a good paddling kayak is if you're literally barely walking. Yeah, well, and, and then you can't do much sight casting if you're if you're wade fishing because you the can't cover much ground. Either. Well, the places that I'm going to want to go catch redfish and I'm going to want to sight cast, I'm going to sink up to my belly button in freaking mud, try, oh, try, mud trying nasty. to walk through that stuff. But that for, nasty. Yeah, for me, you know, you know, I like to paddle, so I I, I love my my native ultimate. I like paddling it. It's it's a great paddling boat for me. I can stand in it. But I like to beach the kayak fairly often and, and beach on a point and then fan cast and move on to the next point and fan cast and so on and so forth. So even whenever we've went out with the outbacks and stuff, it's just so much to for me to pull the drop whenever I get too shallow or kick the fins forward. I don't like having all of that stuff in front of me. I like a clear open deck and a lot of these paddling kayaks that's what they offer. You have more storage right in front of you that's available. You don't have to reach behind you to get stuff. Where the pedal kayaks, you have the pedals in front of you. That That's what's so, there, yeah, and, that's and you, a big and one you for, have to pull your, your that, that Getting stuff inside the boat is a huge one for us as well. I mean, um, even with the old Scupper Pros, and, you know, 
went, once we went to the tridents and designed the center long hatch, you know, getting your rods inside the boat when you're launching and landing through the surf, you know, it, if you're punching through surf, I mean, the salt water just kills rods and reels. Uh, being able to get the gear down inside and you don't have that option with the pedal boat because the pedals take up so much real yeah, estate. Yeah. You're really not being able to put much in, in front of you. And that's that's why I, I use primarily to get to where I'm going. And then oftentimes the drive will either fold up or come out. Um, yeah, and, 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 I, and I know that the pedals are better in certain situations. I mean, you want to hold yourself over a spot in current and and vertically fish, you know, yeah, they're they're definitely better offshore. for that. Yeah, Off, I mean, offshore, yeah, maybe uh, you want to face a, a rig um, into the current. Um, yeah, so. yeah, I mean, for certain types of fishing, they're definitely. But for me, I mean, I love, I love just going out and paddling, offshore, trolling a live bait, you know, just gliding along, and you know, it, that is my preference. The problem is, and I've said this forever. You can't drink a beer at the same time. Well, <laughs> I've kept, dude, I've been drinking beer a long time. I can do that. Um, the, he's got the, the beer helmet on and he's paddling. <laughs> most people just never take the time to learn how to paddle properly. Because you always get the argument, oh, well, my legs are stronger than my arms. Yeah, that's true. But I don't paddle with just my arms. You know, it's a torso rotation. Your legs are involved, you know. So because pedaling is so user-friendly, anybody can get on a, a pedal boat and do it. You know, you're either bicycle motion or the stair-step motion step of a Hobie. Yeah. You know, um, anybody can jump on that and instantly do it. Paddling, though certainly not rocket science. I mean, I can do it. It does take some technique. It does take a little bit of skill. And that most people don't want to take the time to learn how to do. Mm. I watch a lot of, here's my air quotes again, you know, professional kayak fishermen can't get out of their own way paddling. I mean, just, they can't. And just because they never took the time is it's like, like most kayak anglers, they get the boat because they want to go kayak fishing. They don't want to learn how to kayak. So the pedal is a great alternative for them because it instantly works. Well, you can maintain a pretty good cadence and technique. You're right. And just five miles an hour is pretty easy in in a Hobie. Um, when you're paddling something, maintaining five miles an hour, um, it could be pretty difficult if you don't, if you haven't trained yourself. Well, and, and, and again, it's, it's about having a paddler's boat. You know, yeah. you're not oh, going to yeah. jump in. You're not going to jump into the, one of these big, wide pigs and go, okay, well, now I can paddle, you know, consistently four miles an hour. You know, it's like I always say four miles an hour because that's that's probably more realistic. Yeah, um, I, I can cruise at four miles an hour without paddling hard, and I can continue to do that pretty much all day yeah. long. Um, you know what else has hurt the the paddling kayak is the damn chairs. I think the chairs have hurt. Uh, I think being like the Trident, you are literally um, more connected to the boat when, yes. you're in a, when you're in a saddle versus a chair. Yeah, you're you're down in the car. And, and again, I keep jumping back to the Scupper Pro. You really were in those. You were, I mean, that yeah. boat hugged your butt. <laughs> 
Um, it probably hugs my butt a lot more now than it did back then. Uh, I mean, it, it's just, you have, you're much more in contact with the boat. Um, where as even, even with the prowlers and the tridents, the seats started getting wider because we're, we're trying to accommodate more big guys and more volume, you know, um, the boats got wider and flatter on the seat and they weren't as comfortable. That's why when the elevated seats came out, I mean, they are comfy. <laughs> they are, they are certainly are a lot more comfortable than sitting on that plastic was. Um, but it does, it changes your paddle dynamic. Now you can still have good paddling technique in an elevated seat, but again, you have to have good paddling technique. You have to have that torso rotation. Um, you know, you're not using those arms and you watch so many people paddle and they're using just their arms and it's, and that'll wear you out in, in a heartbeat. And that's again, where the pedals make so much sense. Now, and coming, I, mean, I don't blame anybody for going that route. Coming from three guys on the show right now that like to paddle. Like I have a PA in the garage and I would much rather go out and paddle than take that PA unless I'm bass fishing. If, if you're, if you're listening to this conversation and you do a lot of bass fishing, go get, the pedals where you can store as much crap as you can on that thing and go bass fishing. Like that's the route you, you, you don't need to paddle to go bass fishing, but with three guys that really enjoy paddling without sounding too like hippy dippy, like we're purists. Do you think that being a primary paddler has made you a better fisherman because you have to control the boat more physically. You have to think a little bit more about how you're going to turn and the way you're going to set up because you're not able to just, you know, flick your wrist and turn left really, really quick. I mean, you have to set up to into the wind certain directions, but do you think you're a better fisherman because you paddle more? I think I am a better waterman. Um, I definitely have a better feel for the water and currents and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but to play into the fishing part, I would say the only thing more that I'm better at maybe is, and I think, I think it might be just true of all kayak fishermen is we learn how to kayak. And this is the beauty of the blue sky. Cause you don't have to do this. Um, you learn how to cast from every freaking weird angle possible. I mean, because if the fish is off to your right, you see boiling fish, all of a sudden you're doing a weird backhand cast yeah, instead, yeah, of, yeah. instead of your normal cast because you can't just, you know, turn around. And they said, talk the blue sky, you just swivel in your seat or stand up and face the other way. But, um, and that's, again, that's the cool thing. And that's the beauty of all this is all these great boats that all these companies are making, there's something for everybody. And there's something for everybody who, who wants to fish. I mean, that's why I have multiple boats. I just got an inflatable, um, which I'm super stoked to have to be able to do some different stuff with, you know, uh, I got this NRS um, rival and I mean, I'm just, I, I own a, I have a Mercedes Sprinter. So being able to just keep that thing in the back of the Sprinter when I'm going somewhere, I can pump it up and go fish. I don't have to have my trailer with my kayaks and everything. So, like I said, there, it, it's just so cool that there's so many options for the kayak angler. And that's why I have 50 billion kayaks is because <laughs> I, I honestly want all the options. And, and if I feel like doing – if I feel like paddle boarding one day, I want to be able to grab my paddle. Yeah, it's, it's – and to go back to your question, Drew, 
I don't think that it's necessarily the act of paddling a kayak that's made us better fishermen because there are guys that just learn to use their tools well. And if their tool is a Hobie pro angler, they use that pro angler to the best of their abilities to be able to do the thing that they're doing. And I know some guys in pro anglers that have beat me on the podium in tournaments. Um, and you know why? Because they get to those big deep holes in big water that I can't, um, because I'm not in a kayak that, that can get beat up all day long Mm -hmm. where a PA can sit there and it's just like, you know, you got your feet propped up and you're, you're chilling, eating your sandwich. Yeah. Um, and water's not bothering you. Well, I, I may, I may have worded that a little bit wrong, but I think Jim hit on it when he said that you may be more in tune and I think that's more what I was getting at. Maybe not a better fisherman, but you're more in tune with everything going on around you. You're thinking you're thinking a little bit more, like you said, about different ways of casting because you're seated a little bit lower to the lower to the water. Um, it's just it's a different kind of experience, and that's why I said I didn't want to get like too crazy holistic organic blah 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 down there but it's just it's different it's it's a really different kind of pure experience than any other way of kayaking yeah and like i said there's no right or wrong answer here you know as long as you're getting out of the water i love my torpedo i mean you know it's it's different things now i am i am not a believer in motors on kayaks and tournaments i think calling that a kayak fishing tournament and you've got motors I think it should still personally, I think it should still be human powered. But if you're going out there and having fun, I throw a torpedo on the back of one of my boats. That's fun. I mean, exactly. don't tell me how to have fun. <laughs> Drew, Drew, what did I what did I tell you whenever um, whenever you released the information that Katz was going to have motors allowed? Do you remember you, what I said? I, I could probably look it up in the chat, but but I believe you were like uh, I don't really agree with it, but I said motors are t- mo- Say- motor motors are there's a there's a I understand and you probably want to take this part out. <laughs> I understand the reason behind bringing in motors for for kayak tournaments. It drives money, okay? It brings money to the event. Um just like KBF did, um just like some of these other guys did with Torquedo um, you know, it, it dry, it brings the, the new kayaker that uses product. It brings the product in shout out to money. Texas power paddle. Okay. With cats, <laughs> they've got Texas power paddle, uh, which is actually a, <laughs> it's just very innovative, um, a machine that does its job, but it's a toy. Okay. It's not, to me, it's not a part of the f- fishing tournament scene it shouldn't be there i understand it's why it's there and i see it doing its thing um everybody has to make money and everybody has to build business this is just an avenue just yeah to get it done and and, and as chad says if if you don't like it there's other tournaments go fish tournaments that don't allow motors so i mean i get it it's but for me personally it once you're throwing motors onto them it takes away from to me. It's like calling it a kayak fishing tournament anymore because it's just 
it's small just a fishing tournament. Fishing. It's a small boat fishing tournament because it takes out that that I'm going to go hit that spot. I'm going to really take a gamble. I'm going to hit that spot and it's six miles away. And I still got to get back for the way in. As a paddler, as a peddler, you have to think about that. You throw a motor on there, it's like, eh, how many batteries can I carry? You know, it's 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 just a different mindset. And what, what I always think about kayak fishing is that human powered thing. You know, um, I think, uh, oh, like uh, the extreme kayak anglers. And again, I love those guys. Um, Joe is an awesome dude, but they, they allow sales. Now, sure, that's not a motor, but if you're saying I'm going to go out, you know, to an outer reef or an outer high spot that's miles and miles offshore, how is that not an advantage to a guy with a sail versus somebody with a, a paddle? Oh, well, everybody can get a sail. Well, everybody can get a motor. It's like, I don't know. It's just, it just starts opening it up so much. It's like, can we just keep it human powered? And again, this is just my opinion. I, I don't even fish tournaments. I don't, I don't, I don't like tournaments. I think they're a great way to bring people together and all that, but the, the tournament themselves, I'm, I'm not really that we into. Had, we so. had this conversation before you came on through. We were talking well, about tournaments. But so why do you make the distinction human powered with the pedals and paddle compared to the motor? Like why, why are the pedals okay? Which is a mechanical advantage compared to the most. Motor. Pe- most peddlers cannot keep up with me when I'm paddling. Okay, is I it mean, just the, is it the fact that the, the motor line. is more efficient? Is that is that what gets I you the most? It's not human power. I'm, I'm leaning back and not exerting myself at all. So when I get to that fishing spot, I'm nice and fresh. I can fish that hard, and then I can lean back and go, okay, and I can cruise back. Part of the competition is actually the the kayaking paddling human powered pedaling exerting energy the grind the grind well there was that yeah, one tournament the they, they did for a while and it was like the one tournament i really wanted to compete in and then i signed up for it and it was the one year they canceled it and then it never showed up again but it was it was all human powered and you had to reach certain destinations it was in louisiana yeah. um oh the um I oh yeah you but did not was, want to be involved with that. It turned out to be a shit show. <laughs> but it was like twenty-one miles. Yeah, but I know people who did it. Adventure World. It's something. Uh, yeah, it's. But I know people who did it, and they said it was a challenge. You yeah. know, you had to get to that that checkpoint, and then catch fish around that checkpoint, and yes. with a token or whatever, and then have to go to another checkpoint, and then you had to gamble on whether you go to another checkpoint or whatever. I mean, it took any your physical endurance, your physical abilities. It wasn't, you know, flip a switch. And again, I have nothing against motors. I think they're super fun. I've got some. I love putting them on my boat. But in a tournament, to me, that's just, it It, it definitely gives the motorized people. Now, every, now you're saying, okay, if I want to compete, I have to have a motor. Now, I know guys have won these tournaments that are not motorized and all that, and but if you're talking like an offshore thing where you're talking getting to outer reefs and outer high spots or getting down the coast farther, it's a huge, huge advantage. Well, you could In say that. the same thing about, about electronics, though, couldn't you? 
that that those give people video game fishing advantage. that drives yeah. me crazy too that that gives people an unfair advantage uh the the availability well, my, my of different Ray electronics Marine, now my ray marine certainly gives me a huge advantage <laughs> but <Ba-dum-tsh. laughs> <laughs> is it still opera uh, operable after you dropped it off your desk earlier <laughs> <laughs> I got another one. <laughs> so, but you're not okay. You're not video game fishing, though. Do you know what video game fishing is? Whenever I, have I no use, clue. okay, it's it's a new crazy ass way of bass fishing. Probably you haven't heard it because you're not into bass fishing. I'm not really into bass fishing either, but I've seen these guys do it. So they've got their their um, side scan and down scan. Well, they ha- they have the live scope now. Live scope. So the and pantonics and the live scope. Right, multiple right, right. multiple screens and those screens they're able to see exactly where the fish are at, make their cast, see their jig, where it lands, where it falls and whether or not that fish takes that bait. If it doesn't, go back after it, you know, make a better cast this time. Um, but they're watching everything happen on the screen like it was a video game, so they call it video game fishing. That's but that's not what you're doing. You're using your mean. Yeah, yeah, we yeah we use our Raymarine. <laughs> your dragonfly. Yeah, or whatever it's uh, called. Element the or element. axiom. Um, the ra- the dragonfly has been discontinued. I'm uh, thinking like way back. <laughs> yeah, the uh, we're using. I'm like for, seven models behind. We're using using it for locating bait. Um, you know, finding the bait schools. Uh, and then, of course, structure, and then your GPS, uh, just finding areas. You know, fog comes in. I mean, it's a it's a safety thing as well, but uh, definitely electronics help. Um, but like when I'm bass fishing, calico bass fishing or saltwater bass fishing, you know, it doesn't really make any difference. I'm I'm fishing structure. I'm fishing uh, stuff that I'm seeing, kelp beds, and then inside fishing the boiler rocks and that sort of thing. So I see what Drew's saying. I see his point. You know, he's like, okay, so once we start adding full advantages to kayak fishing, whereas electronics help, they're an advantage. Why not an electronic motor as well? Um, well, you know, you can't sniff out a bait ball with your nose, um, but you can get there a lot faster if you have a motor on it on the back. Yeah, it, to me, it's just, it's that physical thing. You know, it, it's 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 physical endurance you know again to make that decision to go farther and still have to get back by the, in the allotted time against the current uh, not be able to sit there and eat a sandwich and drink a beer on the way back you know <laughs> that's it, so it, much it, fun though <laughs> oh and again i'm not saying anything against it, it, as far as how much fun it is i know it's fun uh like i said i've got them i mean heck i've got a 24 foot pilot house out front. Um, so, I mean, I've got a boat they're fun. Every way that gets you on the water is fun in, in, in its own way. And I'm just strictly talking tournaments. Hey drew about this weekend, just so you know, I'm going to go ahead and get my excuses out of the way. Um, it's not that I won't have a motor on the back of my kayak. Uh, but I have not fished, but twice this entire year, <laughs> Getting your and, tournament excuses out, out yeah, way early. yeah, yeah, um, and and it's going to be raining like a son of a bitch <laughs> on Saturday. So um, if I don't bring in anything to to weigh in, that's my excuse. It's not the fact that somebody was motorized against me. <laughs> I, I think it's just it's a it's a difference in 
what you what you gain from fishing a tournament or paddling or taking a motor you know listening to jim i know from talking to you from tur- or for before about tournaments for some guys it really is about embracing the grind of paddling or pedaling further you know your day sucks you feel tired as hell coming back in and then you get that rush of weighing in fish there at the end um you've exerted your body you're sweating you're tired you're starting to cramp up a little bit you know your shoulders are cramping or your legs are cramping and it's that it's that grind that some people like and that grind that some people embrace whereas some people are just in it for the catching of the fish just just the fish that's it so they're like the easiest way that'll get me to those fish and back is exactly the way that i want to do it because you know what i want out of this is catching that fish and just being on the podium whereas other guys i want my ass beat i want my battery down to zero (laughs) yeah they (laughs) they they want to get out there and just drain themselves down to zero like you said and and just embrace that grind professor salt you know we we've had him on the show before and he posts stuff where he's just out paddling, grinding for no reason at all on a Tuesday afternoon, paddling eight or nine miles out there in Corpus in three foot, four foot chop all the time. Yeah, he's like, so, he's like, the wind wasn't too bad today. It was only twenty seven miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but he's embracing that grind, and I I think that for some of us that have been paddling for fifteen years and have been a part of the industry for that long. Like we've had to grind. There wasn't very many other options and we we like that grind. Whereas some of the new guys just getting into it, you know, they're just like throw I got the money, throw that motor on there, let's go catch fish. Like Jim, it's just it's a different mentality. Do you remember when the ocean kayak torque came out? Oh, I had one. That yeah. thing was a that thing was ahead of its time. Yeah. Um if it came out now, people would be eating that kayak up. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a fun one, um, and like I said I, I had one. I, I, I sold it a couple of years ago, um, but I, and I, I always say it's like I do the same thing. I had a torpedo, and I had one put on on the back of my Kraken, and that thing scooted with a torpedo on the back, and it's like man. I tell you, the whole idea was to put it on there so we would paddle out, go fishing, go way offshore, and then you have the motor to bring you back. You're out there for 15, 20 minutes. You're like, hey, I got this thing. I got a motor. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, and I always say, it's like, man, those torpedoes will make you lazy really fast. I think I remember seeing you do a video with uh, the torpedo on your crack, and you got the big one, didn't you? You didn't get the, like the the mild mannered torpedo. You got the what was that four oh three? The yeah, I, I had the on my crack, and I had the little guy, just the little. wasn't Wasn't the boss a four oh three? I mean, <laughs> isn't it a four oh three? I don't think I don't think I don't think that interchanges, Chris. I don't, I don't no, think I, that... I'm. I'm just thinking, did he put something real gnarly on the back there, man? Or was it just very mild mannered? Yeah, I know. It's just But on my blue sky, have you seen that one? On my blue sky, I have dual torpedoes on the back. 
I wow. saw I saw it in person <laughs> in Louisiana. You you were you were freshly placing stickers no, all, no, no. Of, all over that, that thing. That, this that is a different that, one, huh? That was still single on my on my torquedo or my blue sky here at home. I have dual torpedoes on that thing. So I have one on the end of each pontoon. And do the uh, props uh, rotate opposite directions? No, they're going the same way. <laughs> and the whole idea there was that, oh, I could turn this thing because I got dual controls. Um, the problem is the pontoons are actually too close together. So it kind of steers like a pig in mud. Um, but it sure is fun. <laughs> it's super fun. It's got straight line speed. It's got that yeah, straight line exactly, speed. Exactly, exactly. I want to put uh, I want to put one of those 1103s on it. Their new their new bigger one and uh what's the name of the guy that does the the mounts? Um I can't remember. The guy in Texas? It, innovative okay. Is it innovative something? I have no uh, I saw doing a, I saw oh, him doing a video okay. with uh with Jeff Little. Um but anyway, so, he's He's got a, a setup uh, where you can rig the the 1103 um, in place of your rudder. So you're using your rudder control to turn it. And uh, that's a pretty sick setup. So like I said, in, they're, talking they're all- in talking about these inv- advancements in, in kayaking and advancements in the kayak world and bringing these new inventions, are what's new for – the Jim Salmon show. Well, you know, it, it's the Jim Salmon's show, the kayak fishing show with Jim Salmon's <laughs> um, is it's a weird time, you know, um, and it, it's tough for us. You know, we, we barely shot at all last year. We were doing 13 episodes a, a year. You know, we're on Fox sports um, nationally and we were on the world fishing network and NBC sports. You know, I've been on the air for, uh, 12 years. How, and, how did that start? How did that start? If you don't mind me going back, how did, how did you go from being in the paper to, you know, really getting calls from surfer dudes that want to come out, um, doing the guiding to the kayak fishing show with Jim Sammons and, and meeting Drew Turner down in Louisiana at PAC fixing to go film a show. How, how did we get from <laughs> there to there? Well, um, you know, we go back to, again, the ocean kayak years and where ocean kayak was sending me to trade shows. Um, I, I was guiding already. Like I said, I, I had my guide business. I guide here in San Diego and I was guiding down at Southern Baja, uh, where we were catching roosters and sailfish and marlin and all that off our kayaks. Uh, and I had started bringing video cameras with me. Now this was well before GoPros. Um, and I started bringing a video camera with me. I, uh, I had a client actually come on a trip, brought a video camera and shot the whole thing. He shot the trip. He didn't even fish. He just shot it, shot everybody. And I'm like, that's really cool. This could be something I could do as a bonus thing for my clients, you know, shoot them of their fish and then give them a DVD after the trip was over. So I started shooting those. And then I started posting some of these videos on YouTube, you know, forever ago. And um, Ocean Kayak, I said, was starting to send me to different trade shows. And I went to Outdoor Retailer, which was the big one there out in Salt Lake City. And I was introduced to Ken Whiting. And 
I kind of gave a proposal to him. Um, I just said, you know, I'd really like to do a, a TV show. Um, I've done some videos and yada, yada, yada. And he goes, well, I don't know anything about TV. So, but, you know, he was making instructional for people who don't know Ken Whiting, uh, former world champion, whitewater kayaker, uh, was making instructional books and DVDs. And he goes, well, we can make a DVD. I go, well, what I want to do is for anybody who's seen a Warren Miller film, uh, the ski films, I said, I, I want it in that feel. I go, I want to go to cool places, fish with cool people, have some cool music in the background, but it's on kayak fishing, you know? And he goes, I like it. Let's do it. He goes, let's make a DVD. And so we made kayak fishing game on. Um, it did quite well uh, for a DVD. Of course, the DVD market dried up not long after that. Uh, we started making game on two. And the World Fishing Network had really just started getting going and they were dying for content. And they came to us. I guess somehow they had seen the DVD and they said, can you make this into a TV show? And we're like, we don't know how, but pay okay. our airfare. We'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it's different. Though. It, it was, um, well now it's all air by you buy your airtime from the network and then it's all sponsors. And, you know, um, they weren't the, the deal then I think was that they gave us the airtime and gave us X amount of commercial spots and they got X amount of commercial spots. So we could then sell to our sponsors, commercial spots. And, but anyway, it's like, they're like, Hey, can you make this into a TV show? And they're like, we'll give you all the information you need to make it into a TV show. And um, so, yeah, that's how we, that's how it all unfolded. And like I said, we're now shooting for our 12th year on the air. Uh, but it has been crazy uh, with COVID as, you know, for everybody. Uh, the double, the, the kind of little bit worse on my end is that my producer, Ken, and my videographers are in Canada. So there's been a lot of difficulty on them being able to come across the border and then having to get yeah. back. My videographer right now has been in the U.S. for probably five months can't go back it's more difficult to go back and then come back and go back and come back yeah, yeah. because he has just to, to stay he has to quarantine himself um has to have a test you know before he can go back and then he has to have a test before he can come back and it, it was just a nightmare so uh but you know where i'm normally shooting a lot more international stuff uh everything's been shut down so you know we're doing a few episodes i usually do 13 episodes a year uh, this year we only did three. Um, wow. So wow. hopefully that starts opening back up and we can get back on the norm. I, I have a lot of great shoots lined up if things open back up. So when you do these shows, are you um, do you have people in particular that you want to go fish with, that you want to go to the show, that you want to interact with? Um, or do you, are you just in the mindset, this is the species that I'm after, this is the location that I'm after? It's all of the above in all honesty, you know, um, for instance, I'm going to Florida in a couple of weeks 
to fish with Patrick Seville, you know, and, you know, being able to fish yeah. with Patrick. He's from uh, France, right? Yes. Yeah. But he lives in Florida. Um, you know, and he's a good friend of mine now. Uh, I've known Patrick for, for a lot of years, but just being able to fish with him, he's so interesting. Uh, he's caught, I think he told me yesterday, 783 different species of the fish. dude is super passionate about fishing yeah I mean, he, extremely he, passionate yeah i mean and you get him talking he talks nonstop, and it, it's it's super fun to fish with so in that respect you know it's, it's like i have terrible luck in florida i mean I, I have had the worst luck in florida ever every time i go there's a freaking hurricane so to try to get me to go back to florida is generally pretty difficult um there's just so many other places i'd rather go because i've and it's strictly because of my bad luck. Um, but I, I'm going because I get to fish with Patrick. And then in other respects, it's, you know, I, I go to Panama because of the species. Uh, you know, I've been going to Panama for, for many, many years, well before Los Busos and all that, which, by the way, is an awesome, awesome, awesome operation. Um, I talked to him the other day. He was at the Houston Fishing Show. I can't remember his name. but uh. um, The owner or like. Morris or like Adam Fizz? Morris, Morris. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just they they do it right. They they do such a good job there. Um, it, so I go there for the species, you know, same as Costa Rica and Costa Rica, just because I love the nature there and the country overall. Uh, Sweden, you know, wonderful people. Because we want the, for my show, we we really like the whole experience. Hold you know, it, up, just, man! Hold up! You going to Sweden to fish? Or are you going to Sweden for Sweden? to fish <laughs> look at the look on his I don't, face i don't believe i don't believe him for that i don't believe that uh, well honestly the times i've been to sweden we've been so remote yeah we're there to fish, there there's, to nothing, fish. there's nothing else <laughs> but i mean great people the, the people that i've met in sweden i mean have become wonderful friends i love new zealand new zealand is an absolutely awesome great fishery great people uh, so, you know, we try to get a little bit of all that, the people, the food, you know, I, I, I hate going places where, you're, you know, somebody wants to, wants to go to the Hyatt, you know, it's like, I, I don't travel to go to the yeah. Hyatt. I travel to go, you know, where the pe- locals go, you know, get the, the authentic food and, um, you know, all the off the street carts in Mexico, you know, where a lot of people are just afraid of it. It's like, you got to just dive Live in life, experience Drew. it. So how is it that you get transitioned from being just a kayak fisherman and then a guy that's, you know, kayak fishing sh- that's got his own show? And how do you get into this, this traveling um, aspect of it all? And, and obviously you, you do a lot of that yourself. And, you know, you don't have people working for you saying, okay, Jim, this yeah. is what you're going to do today. This is how you're going to do it. And we're going to stay at the Hyatt. No, no, you're no. you're planning a lot of that shit out yourself. Now, I plan trips all the time, but I'm going like back and forth to Louisiana, back and forth to Florida, um, and I can't wait to do the Carolinas here really soon. But internationally, trying to travel for fishing is known to be sort of a pain in the ass. Well, and, I'll, I'll be honest; it's a lot easier than it used to be. Is it now? Are, are you it. are you are you hiring 
guides before to get out there? Or are you winging it at most? You of were these just places? about trying to get yeah. a job from them. Yeah, That's so what it yeah, like. we we plan everything so far in advance, um, and and it happens all different ways. Um, you know, it, it could be a destination that I've always dreamt of. It could be you know Jeff Herman, for instance. Uh, he planned many trips for us because it was places he wanted to go. He goes, I'll handle all the logistics for you, Jim, because I want to go. Like, hey, if, you, if that works, that's, that, that works for me. And then we also have the destinations that contact us. It's like, hey, you know, you're doing some cool stuff. We've got a great fishery here. You know, would you like to come? We'll, you know, we'll put you up for the week and and so on and so forth. So it it, it, it can happen in all different ways. Um, the reason I said it's easier now than it used to be because the community of kayak fishing has grown so much. You know, when I first started, you know, there weren't kayak fishermen all over the world. Now there really are. I was like, when I do my live shows, I have people commenting from all over the globe all the time. It, it, it's like, I am, I'm checking in from Argentina, checking in from Brazil, checking in from um, Poland. It's like, what? It's the, the and the there's kayak fishermen all over the world. So I get proposals all the time. Hey, you ought to come here. Check it out. Da, 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 da. You know, a lot of times it doesn't work out just because the logistics of getting kayaks to some places, uh, because we are sponsored by Jackson Kayak. I need to be in the Jackson Kayak. Um, that can be tough sometimes. Um, our probably our worst one was we did we kayak fished on the Nile in Uganda. And this was when Jeff Herman set up and we shipped the kayaks probably four months in advance. Y'all going uh, after tiger fish or something? Uh, Nile perch. Uh, huh. They get, they get, you know, they look kind of like, like a snook. Yeah. They kind of look like a big snook. Um, and we're going to fish on the Nile and Lake Victoria. Well, we showed up um, and the kayaks arrived literally and we shipped them four months in advance. They showed up the day after we got there and then they were in customs and we had to grease a lot of palms to get them out of customs. And then they're like, Oh, you will, your kayaks weigh more than the bill of lading says. It's like, that's cause you left them outside in the rain and they were wrapped in cardboard. So the cardboard was all soaked up all this rain and they waited. So we had to pay more for that. Um, hmm. You know, so it's, and then getting somebody to shuttle us to the location. And then we get pulled over because our load was too high because our kayaks were on top of it, uh, top of this van. They say, oh, they're too high. Here's 10 bucks. Okay, it's not too high anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so is it just like any other fishing trip, though? Okay, let's scale this down a little bit. So you're just going to do your backyard trip, catch some fish for us anyway. That's what we do. You know, a whole day's worth of grind and, and forgetting your water and, and you know, having to take a marsh dump and so you get all muddy, you know, stuff like that, just for that one fish. You know, you catch one fish that day and it's like, man, all that trouble was worth it. Same thing, international travel, all the bullshit that you're sure, dealing with. Sure, sure, except add a level of stress on top of it because it's no longer just fishing for pure enjoyment. Now it is a job. Um, you are trying to make a show and we're always super honest. You know, we've, I've been skunked one time in a shoot, but we show it, you know, it's like, 
there, there's no hook in hand. I've never taken a hook, a hand off of a fish. And I know a lot of show hosts have, um, and that's their regular thing, um, because they're trying to make a show in a day. Uh, you know, so they'll have five guys out there fishing and they'll hand off a rod that, that happens. Uh, but we stay very, very honest on our show. I, I've never taken a hand off, uh, never will. Um, we show the struggles. We show when it's shitty weather, like Louisiana. Um, we show that we try to make the best of it. You know, we show that, hey, we can't fish. We're going to sit around and drink and go eat a bunch of crawfish. Um, you know, so we try to just be really honest with it, but it does add a level of stress. I mean, we did a shoot in Belize. Um, my wife actually came on the shoot. So she was on the camera boat and it was windy and I'm not a great fly fisherman. I mean, I just don't do it enough. And of course, fly fishing in the wind is tough and it was windy and the fish did not want to cooperate and it gets stressful, you know, like I said, cause you want to make a good show. So it, it, it does make it different. People think, Oh, you get to go fishing for, you know, all around the world. It's just fun. It's like, yeah, until you realize that you are trying to make a show. You're trying to make something, and you're trying to bring good content for the sponsors. So out of all those shows, which one was probably the most rewarding? I would say probably the most rewarding one um, that was a super stressful one was a shoot in um, Puerto Rico. And we uh, the boat had actually hooked a tarpon. We, we had six days of these fish had locked jaw. They were tarping around, but they would not eat. Um, and six days of fishing, uh, Jeff Herman actually finally, because my cameraman begged him, took a hand off from the boat. Um, and we were honest about it, you know? Um, and then, I mean, talk ninth inning, two outs. It was literally, we had an hour left to fish. And I hooked one and I landed a pretty, pretty nice size tarpon. And it's like, there's a picture of me like leaning back in my kayak, just like, oh. <laughs> just, <I'm> just like <laughs> elated. And then actually, if you can see it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, what are you doing to that fish, man? <laughs> Dude, that, that was six days of Struggle. Guys, we'll, we'll screen capture that one and show it to you <laughs> on the Facebook page. I'm that sure we was, can find that picture online somewhere. Yeah, that was six days of struggling because uh, the fish just wouldn't eat. I mean, our guide, who's uh, Omar Raka, who's the greatest guy, you know, super positive, high energy dude, finally just had a full meltdown. It's like, what did I do? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, it just, it was one of those things. He said the fishing was great before that. And then they had a huge rainstorm and uh, it just, all this effluent got washed down into estuaries and it, the fish just wouldn't eat. And it's like, so that one was probably, like I said, you, you can see the look on my face. Just like, it's just elation. So take us behind the scenes just a little bit more. We had a listener that wanted me to ask this question. On the on these shows, how often are you mothershipping out compared to just straight paddling out? Because everybody knows that you know mothershipping is a part of kayak fishing, especially in places like Panama and and even Louisiana. At PAC, you can get a mothership and get right. further into the into the marsh. 
Um, but can you know? Well, it, g- yeah, give I mean, me a percentage of mothership it, versus hard, straight it's paddling. It's hard to say. It's hard to say percentage wise. Um, I mean, if it's paddleable and it makes sense, we will paddle. But again, we are trying to make a TV show. Yeah, and time is of the essence. It, it's not a matter of hey, we couldn't have paddled here. It's a matter of hey, we need to get here fast. We need to get things rolling. We need to get. We have a job to do. Um, so yeah, it, it's because we're gonna have a boat with us anyway. Because I need my cameraman. You gotta have to your film a, crew. My they're cameraman's. Not, they're they're got, not paddling he, out there and right. And I mean, it, I, I have had a guy. I've had a camera guy. Occasionally, depending on the water that we're on, we'll paddle a kayak and shoot from a kayak, and it gives a nice angle. But having an elevated camera, you know, from a boat is just so much better. Um, so we have a boat with us almost every single time. Do we jump in that boat every single time? Absolutely not. Do we jump in that boat sometimes? Hell yeah. There's a lot of times where I was like, damn, I wish there was somebody with a boat that was close to me that could get me back to the launch because this sucks right now and it is hot and I got swamp ass. And I'm oh, hell, one of our, one of our <laughs> very early shoots, uh, Howard McKim hooked a, uh, pretty big blue marlin and drag is 17 miles so yeah having the camera boat it's like yeah i think you can tow us back (laughs) (laughs) yeah there was no question um you know and it's a safety thing when you're when you're dealing with big game like that as well so yeah i mean i don't hide the fact that we have a boat with us um i've never hooked a fish from a boat and jumped in a kayak um i've never like been dropped off on fish like all the marlin you know, we might mothership out to an area, but then we're paddling, trolling all freaking day, you know, in 110 degree humid, you know, Mexico or Costa Rica or whatever. So, yeah, we will have the boat to get to an area, but it, it's still we're doing everything is hook, fought land from the kayak. Yeah, all the fishing is from the actual kayak. Like I, I wish that I, I had more mothership trips to to just see more areas and be able to target more species and get around. Um, well, yeah, and we've got that mothership trip. I did one of the I got a lot of firsts, but I did the first mothership trips out to uh, San Clemente Island here off California um, with a. a 38 foot Bertram. We'd load like six kayaks on there. We'd take guys out there and then started, helped uh, the Islander, um, which Fish Village is running some, chartering some boats for that. You know, it's, it's a place that it's kayak fishing heaven for for a guy like me who loves the calico bass fishing. It's heaven. And then you have the, the yellowtail and white sea bass and all that, but you're not paddling there. You know, it's 60 miles offshore. So when people say, it's like, oh, well, you mother shipped out there. Why even bother? It's like, because it's fun. It's fun. Don't tell me how to have fun. You know, I, I'm, as long as you're honest about it, it's like, I'm having a good time. And, and, and it's, it's like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to paddle to Hawaii if I want to fish Hawaii? You know, I'm taking a plane. Am I supposed, hey. to, am I supposed to ride my bike to the beach? Or, you know. It's, I can't take my car because this just brought something up. If you, <laughs> I don't know if it's still there anymore, but if you Google directions to Hawaii, oh it, yeah, 
It will literally bring you to California or something like that, like Los Angeles, the port or whatever there, and and tell you to get into a kayak <laughs> and paddle, <laughs> whatever, however many miles it is to get there. But anyway, it's funny that you said that, guys. I, I I don't I hate to cut things off. So we're, I'm having a blast, but my wife is pinging me like dinner's been ready for a while. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. we got to wrap, we gotta wrap <laughs> things up. I just Chris just sent me a message to say, "Hey, we need to wrap this up. It's yeah. been an hour and forty five minutes." So, um, and and you know what we normally like to do towards the end of the show is we like to give our uh, guest um, the floor and you know let you shout out to all your supporters. Um, you know something that you, we may not have talked about that you want to tell our listeners about you. Go ahead, man. Um, you know, the, the main thing for me is, of course, I appreciate all the sponsors uh, that have allowed me to do this for a long time. You know, Jackson Kayak, Seagar, uh, Siegler Reels. I mean, one of the most down-to-earth, wonderful people you'll ever meet is Wes Siegler. Made in the USA, baby. And he's a freaking genius. Um, you know, Standard Horizon. So, I mean, it's just Balance Point Brewing Company. <laughs> you know, I've got a lot of great supporters. You guys can all see that. I appreciate all the support. That's the main thing. I appreciate the support from the sponsors. I appreciate the support from the fans and the people who come to the Facebook page and watch our live shows and all that. But one of my things that's really near and dear to my heart is kayak safety. I am just like, I am the PFD Nazi. I end all my shows saying, you know, if you're going out on the water this weekend, please wear a PFD and keep your paddle right side up. And, and that's the thing is, is, you know, be safe. We want you coming back. Chris, what does PFD stand for? Prevent fucking drowning. Exactly. There, there you exactly. go. There you go. Well, bro staff, I hope you guys learned a lot on this episode from an OG, a real old triple OG designed the kayaks that you guys see out there. Was help one of design. The first I always want help, to, I, help I design. Want to clarify, sorry. I, I always want to clarify. I helped design. I've never, I've never put this is, a plane or two. This is like two in a row of, of dudes that helped design kayaks. I know. I helped help design. I, I would never want to say that I designed it because it's a big group of people who you know, work on it. I love, I love the fishing. I've always loved fishing. Of course, I wouldn't be talking about fishing if I didn't love fishing. But I love the freaking kayak. It's like, yeah, I love the ocean thing. I love the water. <laughs> yeah, the water. Salt All water. Just together. Water smells funny. <laughs> exactly. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We are going to get out of here. Jim has got some dinner to eat, and I think Chris does too. Uh, so for the Paddler's Playbook and, you know, Jim Sammons, the Kayak Fishing Show with Jim Sammons, thank you guys for joining us on here, and we will see you next time. See ya. Peace. Out.